Welcome to the Subscription League, a podcast by Purchasely. Listen to what's working in subscription apps. In each episode, we invite leaders of the app industry who are mastering the subscription model for mobile apps. To learn more about subscriptions, head to subscriptionleague.com. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today, I have the pleasure to have Olivier Lemarie, who's VP of Growth at Photoroom with us. Welcome to the show, Olivier. Hi, Olivier. Hi, Jeff. Nice to meet you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks for uh, introducing my co-host, Jeff, co-founder at uh, Purchasely today. How are you, Jeff? I'm great and uh, happy to be with you, uh, both Olivier's and uh, especially Olivier Lemarie, uh, with uh, who I had the chance to uh, be working a little bit at Molotov. So I'm very pleased to have you on uh, this side of the mic today. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about Molotov down in the podcast. But first, I wanted to talk a bit about Photoroom, where you're working today, because I, I saw a demo online on LinkedIn the other day, and it was the one where the bike is erased from the foreground on like the bike is on the wall, and then it just magically disappears. I was super impressed. So I wanted to know, like, can you tell us a bit more about what Photoroom actually does? Yeah, sure. Photoroom is an AI mobile app, photo editing mobile app. We focus mostly on commerce photography, meaning that we have um, people use Photoroom to uh, first and foremost remove background first. And uh, we have the best tech uh, to remove the background. And we believe that this is um, the first part of your journey as you want to edit uh, a photo for your business. And the demo you saw about removing something on a picture which is quite amazing because when you take a picture, when you are, I don't know, like a holiday picture and you have a garbage bin or you <laughs> want to take a picture of uh, your clothes and uh, you see you, um, your two on the picture, it doesn't look very professional to sell something. So it's quite convenient to just remove it. So that's why people are, are downloading and using Photoroom first for their business or just for casual and fun. And as many freemium apps, and we'll cover that a bit later, we also mm -hmm. have a, a pro plan, a subscription pro plan. Users take it mostly to uh, increase their sales. So we have features like um, removing all this background by batch, removing Photoroom logo, better quality of a uh, picture, more professional, I would say, uh, features. Awesome. And you guys are actually pretty successful. Like you have 50 million installs and you're probably in the million of active users. Do you know like how many paying subscribers do you get out of all those millions of installs? Yeah, Photoroom is three years old now. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we, we have gone quite fast. That's the beauty of a mobile subscription. We are live everywhere in the world and we can grab opportunities a bit everywhere. And yeah, we have uh, a few hundred thousands of uh, paying subscribers or monthly or yearly uh, plan. And something I think which is also one of the beauty of uh, mobile subscription is Photoroom is profitable and most since the beginning. Um, so that's, that also nurture our, our growth. That's always nice for a startup, yeah. And personally, you started in the growth industry at Wuga, which is a, a gaming studio. And I can't remember exactly when you started, but if I remember correctly, it is at least a few years back. What was it like back then? Yeah, I started in mobile app 10 years ago now, uh, as you mentioned, at Wuga, a gaming studio in, in Berlin. And at that time, acquisition was about uh, emails and phone calls to buy install. So... This world uh, has changed quite a bit since then. Mm -hmm. And at that time, most most of the app developers were gaming developers first, and most of them were using in-app purchase only. Mm -hmm. uh, while today you have multiple uh, monetization, like an even in-app purchase with ads or ads and subscription, or even now offline and online. So the um, landscape has evolved quite a lot. Yeah. And so now with Photoroom, I guess it's more of a utility app in a way. What difference do you see between the gaming industry and the utility app when it comes to growth? 
gaming app as they rely a lot on in-app purchase uh, are much more advanced than utility app in terms of uh, lifetime value prediction and uh, user acquisition uh, and all things related to churn prediction as well because they don't have the choice. Uh, by essence, business is uh, is non-repeatable while for subscription apps, business is repeatable. So you have to, to improve, of course, your monetization funnel uh, and making people understand the value of your, your subscription mm-hmm. and then making them uh, engage with your uh, profit but the business modeling of the subscription is much, much more easier than for mobile games. I think that's one of the main difference between the two uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. Another common point, maybe one common point is the global footprint compared to Walter, for example. Most of the gaming apps and most of the utility apps are live worldwide. And uh, that helps also to think growth differently and find uh, other growth levels. Yeah, you, you were speaking about uh, Molotov. And um, so before being at Photo Room, you were also at Molotov. Uh, for those who don't know who at Molotov is, it's a French uh, streaming TV app which focuses on the French market and was recently acquired by uh, Fubo. How would you contrast this to your experience at Photo Room? So you spoke a little bit about uh, the, the worldwide footprint, of course, and, uh, and uh, the different markets that you are targeting. But is there any other differences or... Would you like to deep dive a little bit on this? Yes, um, I won't go into uh, potential technical uh, differences, but on two aspects, I think that are, are worth uh, mentioning. The first one is the people in the company and the organization you are building. We believe at Photoroom that if we want to successfully serve entrepreneurs uh, all over the world, we need to build an international team uh, out of Europe. And uh, English is by default the language, and this is kind of what we believe in. But also, we think it's a recipe to be successful in our mission. While when you are focusing on a single market, the French one or whatever the national market is, this is something which is less strategic, I would say. So this is one one thing. The second aspect, which is, of course, more business-wise, is your ability to test and fail. And when you have a global footprint, you can test in non-strategic market <laughs> on a small proportion of users to iterate on your market fit, for example. And if you don't find your market fit in a specific market, you can focus on another one. When for Molotov or for, again, any national-centric, country-centric app business, you need to find your market fit in your own market. And everything you are testing may impact your brand as well in this specific market. Yeah, there's, there's no playground or... Uh, and even for... Uh... I guess for um, having a relevant test, it must be a nightmare, right? Exactly. I mean, may, probably, I mean, that's one chance of Molotov in this, uh, on this um, area because uh, TV is a mass market. So you can have huge volume and that's what we were getting at, at that time, huge volume of install. But that's definitely true. You, you, you can't say, okay, I want to launch a, a test in all uh, South American markets mm-hmm. altogether. Of course, this is not the same audience. And would you say that the, the position of, um, of not being a leader in a specific country is also making a difference? Like, you, Photo Room is a leader in, uh, in some countries, a challenger in some others. So you might want to be more willing to test stuff in other areas. I don't know if that plays that much. I think it's very related to, uh, to the industry. Mm-hmm. On the photo editing, people, our competitors are used to be live everywhere and People are, see ourselves more as a, uh, today as another photo editing app, even if we position ourselves on the commerce and selling. While the TV industry in each market has only a couple of very well-known brands. If you take France, people know TF1, M6, France Television, etc. So you have a, it's very much more uh, concentrated, and the competition is, is is looking much more at you on an even daily basis. Why in the photo editing or in the utility app space, I think people are more 
doing their growth strategy, of course, looking at the competition, but the pressure from competition eyes is not as strong as in the TV industry. Interesting. It's like there's a lot more utilities and a lot more niche markets that you can address. Today, you're at Photo Room, obviously. What are the big challenges that are ahead of you? Yeah, um, we mentioned it briefly, but Photo Room has grown very fast. I joined two years ago uh, as a second employee, and now we are more than 40 pe people working at Photo Room. So one of our core challenges, uh, and business uh, follow as well, and one of our core challenges is how we continue to grow while keeping what makes Photo Room successful, which is speed of iteration, speaking um, every day to users and uh, experimenting. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our current challenge, how we make sure that with a growing team, everyone continue to move fast, experiment, uh, learn, fail, continue to learn and succeed. That's one challenge at the company level, more at the growth level. We are looking for new uh, way of growing and we notice as many other OTT apps that the retention is a key metric for photo room and especially the retention during the first week because this is where people understand the value of your product, either the free product or the pro product, but at least you just have a few days, even usually one day to make sure that they understand the value and that if people could find value into photo rooms, they stay. Of course, with uh, dozens of thousands of uh, installs every day, uh, that's also a great sandbox to experiment. Every day we have this pool of new users coming in. So we, we learn and we apply a recipe for success to make sure people understand the value. You were speaking about the, the test culture. Can you tell us a little more about this? Yeah, sure. So yeah, at Photoroom, we try to make experiment as easy as possible for everyone in uh, in the company. So taking an example from a very powerful tool like Amplitude, very useful for product analytics, cohort analysis, lifetime value, uh, understanding, um, behavior into the app. Usually this tool is initially used by product people, uh, some tech people, growth people. But when the team grow, as I mentioned, we are now 40. We have a strong machine learning team. We have multiple iOS, Android web developer. We are also building a brand team. So all these people should be able to use the tool, understand how to use it, and set up their own tests. The ultimate goal for Photo Room is to make sure that everyone can set up a test and that mm. it's even easier to set it up than non-set it up. And how do you make sure that these uh, tests don't um, cannibalize each other's? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we are... We are still uh, in iteration mode on that, but at our stage, we think by having... The team is growing, but the team is still rather small. We are only 40. The product growth team is a team of uh, less than five people. So each uh, product growth member, uh, for example, has uh, his own um, life cycle area. So one people is focusing on our home tab, another one is focusing on the onboarding, and uh, a third one is focusing on the monetization, so the paywall, uh, uh, potentially upsell. Mm -hmm. And we also have splitted the US, our main market, as for many utility apps and other markets that we call strategic. Mm -hmm. So that's another way, another way of splitting the test and uh, trying to apply the learning from one test to other markets and see if that works. Yeah, very interesting. It really sounds like the, the same approach that Dan uh, Valle uh, was uh, talking about in a previous uh, issue of this podcast uh, mm -hmm. about uh, how to organize like tests and, uh, and doing price testing in different uh, territories. Yeah, great. Very interesting. And so you, you were talking earlier about, you know, one of your challenges being retention at the first week and having to do a lot of education, user education, to make sure the user understand the value of the app. I'm curious, like, what have you found that has worked really well for you guys to, to make that value shine to the user? 
we um i mean this is probably not unique to photo room but what we uh, understood is uh, people using uh, more advanced feature like the magic retouch the one you mentioned at the beginning mm -hmm. to remove uh, one piece of the picture is driving higher retention or going through specific content is driving higher retention and uh, for pro user and pro education Definitely people using the batch mode, which is removing all the background, mm -hmm. uh, like hundreds of photos at once, is a core driver for retention, which is quite, um, I would say, probably common to many utility apps. And how do you balance these, um, these features that drive retention? Because there is always a balance to find between what you offer for free so that user will stick to your app and what you will make people pay for. Now, how do you make that balance? Experimenting, I guess, once again, mm. but can you tell us more about that? Experimenting, for sure, but something we believe in strongly is uh, remove background and the, the free tier is of first acquisition channel. And by having generous free tier, because photo room, with photo room, you can remove as many backgrounds as you want for free. We are the only one offering that in the App Store. Mm -hmm. We believe this is a strong incentive to stay and come back mm -hmm for a casual use case. And if you find more value because you have an uh, e-commerce, uh, Shopify business, you are selling on Vinted or Poshmark, then you will find that there is value taking, uh, taking Photoroom Pro and you will subscribe. And one of the things you've done at Photoroom is you've leveraged TikTok content for user acquisition. I'm curious how you went about it because I'm not familiar with how to do that. Yes, indeed. So first, TikTok is a natural is a natural social media for Photoroom. Uh, it's very visual. Photoroom is a vi very visual product. It's easy to showcase um, the magic around removing perfectly the background in two seconds. Mm -hmm. So that was natural for us to start using TikTok uh, to, to just outline and showcase what Photoroom uh, is doing. And um, by doing that, we some other people started using Photoroom and showcasing Photoroom on TikTok. And we ended up discussing with some of them, promoting their content. So we build a network of, I would say today, more than 100 uh, content creators who produce content all over the world. So we have creators, of course, in the US, but also in Peru, Mexico, Thailand, Philippines. So they produce content mm -hmm. and we use that content to, to feed our um, user acquisition creative strategy. And so how did you go about finding the creators that you partner with today? Uh, it's a mix. Initially, it was people who find Photoroom by themselves and just put hashtag Photoroom and reach out to them and uh, try and set up a partnership. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have that. That's one area, like people doing them by themselves that we flag. Another channel is um, reaching out to people that we think are on brand mm -hmm. or uh, working in a specific niche. Like, for example, tattoo seller. Uh, tattoo seller uh, are using photo room uh, in the US to uh, showcase uh, tattoo or remove or extra or Shopify, uh, specific Shopify seller. So we reach out to them. We don't know if they will answer this kind of cold emailing approach. Mm -hmm. And the last one is uh, more working with kind of agency uh, who source for us. So we don't go, mm -hmm. we, we don't go too much into the traditional influencer. We are more looking to micro influencer, people who are, uh, who have a very small audience uh, on TikTok, but are doing great content and content that we think are appealing for a photo room audience. Okay. And I'm curious, it, you know, companies usually try to be, when they communicate with their users, try to be on brand and all that kind of stuff. And I'm curious on TikTok, like how much can you control or don't control that branding of the content that is created by the influencers? Yeah, right. It's a balance between you want them to be on brand, but you also, if you work with them is because you trust 
the way they speak to their audience. Mm -hmm. So what we usually do is uh, for every um, big moment of the year, we send, uh, usually it's every month or every two months, we send a brief to them about, okay, we want to speak about this new feature. Uh, so they have a brief of what we want them to speak about, mm -hmm. showcasing also some examples that we do by ourselves so they, they can see uh, what we expect from um, a content perspective, I would say. But we let them the creative aspect and how do we make sure that they do something on brand is mostly on the um, sourcing part as we are sourcing only people that we believe that anyway what they will do won't damage the brand and if something happen okay we can't totally uh, control it mm -hmm. but if we select content creator who we strongly believe will be on brand and we give them a script about the content we control much of it and also we don't use um, this TikTok content creator for their audience, but more for the content they produce. So um, if they produce a content which is absolutely not on brand, as they have a very limited audience, usually, I mean, the impact will be very limited uh, and we will just not use it for ad purpose. Uh, I figured that part of using influencers was to communicate with the audience, but it sounds like you just said it's not so much for the audience, but for the content they create. Can you tell us more why you're more focused on the content they create than their actual audience. Yes. Uh, so paid and paid acquisition, the most critical part today is the creative for any any utility apps. So it's also the case, of course, for Photoroom. And um, what's great with a photo editing app like Photoroom is you can become very creative and there is multiple ways to showcase and, and make Photoroom uh, shine. And we can have ideas internally and uh, we are doing also our own, uh, our own creative. Uh, the UE team is doing their creative. We have video. We're uh, uh, doing amazing uh, ads for Photoroom. But being able to have around... Two, two to 300 uh, new piece of content, new piece of ideas about how to promote Photoroom every month is huge. So of course they promote to their own audience. This gives us some reach, but compared to having successful and winning creatives that we can run to and promote to millions of users through paid advertising on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and TikTok, yeah, the balance is, in, is more into uh, the creative flow. Interesting. Um, is there any advice that you'd like to give to other people in uh, in growth, given uh, your different experiences? Something I learned at Photoroom that was the same at Vuga is think international. As a utility app, it's pretty easy to be available everywhere in the world. And uh, many, many utility apps focus a lot on the US, which makes sense because it's the most ma mature market on iOS for the subscription business uh, with a lot of ability to pay, which is much higher than in many other markets. So that makes sense to focus in the US. But there is a tons of big markets elsewhere that are worth uh, digging into. If you look at Japan, uh, Taiwan are in the top five markets for the App Store. And uh, most of Western app developers don't think about them because the cultural barrier may, may be too high. But having one people or a small team focusing on those markets, understanding the culture, adapting the paywall, adapting the onboarding, the App Store, it's an effort, of course, but it's not a huge effort to bring uh, significant growth. Great. Is it something that you do once and then it's okay? Or is it something that you regularly update your product, uh, your product pages, etc.? I would say this is, a, I mean, I can share my perspective on that. If you have a, a global footprint and you are starting or you, your brand is not that big, you should do a long full strategy. So you should look at, look at your data, look where there is potential 
and update update what I just mentioned. You update the app store, uh, you update the paywall, you update the onboarding, you update a bit the content with a local uh, agency or local designer, and uh, you do it once in every major market. And maybe you can uh, look at it again uh, six months later or a year later. It really depends on, the, on your strategy. If you are building a brand, a long-term brand, maybe you want to... Um, in a strategic market, you want to build a global presence. So maybe you want to have, uh, after a while, after this long info strategy, you, maybe you will look for uh, uh, people dedicated to that market, implementing CRM, uh, brand awareness, um, mm-hmm. being present in media events. Maybe that's another strategy. But I will say any app developer starting and having a first attraction and first number should look at uh, where he can have um, a long info strategy. Mm-hmm. It's a great advice, like the on the international aspect and selecting your market, because as you said, like being on all those markets through the app store is very easy. It's just like a checkbox in a way, and here you go, your app is available everywhere. But you clearly articulated here that yes, that checkbox is easy to check, but there's some more work behind to make sure that your app is localized, just not translated, but localized for each market that you want to go after. Yeah. Um, any any other advice that you want to share? Maybe on, on this international aspect, something I want to outline even more is look at your own data. Uh, if you look at, we can take Molotov example, but also uh, if you look at Spotify, which has today uh, a global footprint to launch a new market, they had to have their um, contract uh, with uh, music uh, owners, etc. So they didn't have Spotify data to decide on which markets they will have the more traction before deciding to go into a market. So they, are, they probably look at a lot of external data and competition, etc., etc. But they don't have their own internal data. And when you are a utility app available everywhere, even if your app is not uh, very well uh, optimized for it, you still know. And there is, of course, markets where your market fit is naturally better than in other markets. So you start with your own data. And yeah, last feedback maybe um, for growth team is um, give ownership to your team member. Mm-hmm. That goes with the experimentation uh, that we briefly discussed. I'm a strong believer that one of footroom success and one of uh, success received for growth team is to give clear ownership to your team member and make them act as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And learning and iterating is uh, what will compound over time and make your app successful. So of course, you have a global strategy and your global objective shared by the founders and with um, an overall roadmap. But within this roadmap, give ownership, give them the tool to iterate fast, and theoretically, everything will follow. <laughs> and I'm curious, actually, practically, what does that mean to give ownership to your team of the tasks that they have to do? Can you tell us a bit more of how on a day-to-day that actually works at Photo Room? Yeah. On a day-to-day, if we decide to work on the onboarding, uh, we have one person from product growth and uh, working directly with uh, the iOS and Android developer, and they can do whatever they want, basically. If they decide to go with no onboarding, it's fine. If they think if we improve, uh, I don't know, activation, or uh, if they decide to go with a very long onboarding, which is not what what, what used to make Photoroom successful, that's also fine. What we want them to have in mind is first, um, what's the goal of this test and what, the, what are the impact of this test? Yeah. Because of course, if any experiment, if it's successful, you want to implement it for every user. So it will have a cost somewhere else in the funnel. But we trust uh, people's judgment. And uh, I think that's another piece of giving ownership is trust 
trusting everyone's judgment. It's a great answer. And, you know, you, you started by telling they can do whatever they want. And then you qualified, you know, there's some metrics behind. And that brought a question in my head, which was, what is your guys kind of a North Star metric? Like, what are the things that uh, people can't tank? Like, if they do a test and this tank, then that's it. No more testing <laughs> or more testing, but not that feature at least. In the growth team, what we are looking at is this uh, we grow retention and we also want some revenue metrics. So we are looking at people uh, using the app and staying in the app after more than a week. So that's our North Star metric. So the whole growth team is uh, working on the different aspects of this metric. So I mentioned the onboarding and I briefly mentioned the home tab because this is where most of the content is displayed mm -hmm. and monetization because uh, we, as any apps, most of, uh, I mean, a big chunk of trials happens during the first day, even during the onboarding. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, the most of the growth team is focusing on these uh, first days. Nice, nice, nice. Thanks, you know, you, you brought a lot of value, a lot of answers to our questions. I'm curious if people want to learn more about you and potentially Photo Room, where, where can they go? To learn a bit more about me, they can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter as well, even if I'm not that active at the moment. Uh, for Photo Room, you should go download the app or visit the website. We just released a crazy feature that everyone should try, which um, once you have removed the background, we generate automatically thousands of uh, new scenes. So you, I can take a picture of you two and uh, you can go on holidays, uh, I don't know, in the Alps or, or find you in the desert of Patagonia in uh, just a matter of uh, seconds. And that's crazy features. We, we, we noticed that we found out that some Etsy sellers are doing 100% fake listings thanks to, uh, to this feature. <laughs> so this is a generative AI applied to uh, product photography. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. You should try it. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks to both of you. It was great to have you, Olivier, today on the show and give us so many insights into what you've been learning over the last few years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Olivier. On behalf of the Purchasely team, thank you for listening to the Subscription League podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or other audio platform. To find out more about Purchasely and how we can improve your subscription business, visit Purchasely.com please hit subscribe in your podcast player and don't miss any future episodes. You can also listen to previous episodes at subscriptionleague.com. See you soon.